Okay, all right. All right, verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door uh, were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light stood, uh, sorry, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what he was uh, being done, or what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them for its own accord, and they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all, of that, from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, or sorry, now when day came, there was no little disturb, disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after, Herod searched for him and did not find him. He examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea? I hope I got that right. Or Caesar, is it? <laughs> I knew I'd mess that up and spent time there. <laughs> All right, and that is it for today. All right, thank you for the, the praise team for leading us in worship and for uh, leading us in reading the scripture too. It's, now I'm, I'm sure this is going to make the ladies all very happy. It's football season again. <laughs> As uh, some of you know, I have a like-dislike association with uh, pro football. When my team is winning, I'm right there with them, <laughs> cheering them on. But when they're not doing so well, I don't watch them. And part of the reason is, is because if they're losing it, it really bothers me. Now, I admit I'm a terrible fan. I admit it. 
but if I'm watching a game, even if it's close, and the team is winning, I, I get too nervous and I, and I turn it off. Now, technology has helped me quite a bit with this because I can record it, right? And if they win, I can listen to it later uh, because I know the outcome. I can watch it, and even if it's close, even if my team is losing, I know they're going to win. Well, you know, the Christian church throughout the ages has been kind of like that. If you're watching it on TV, you might be tempted to turn it off because you're rooting for the church and, and it doesn't look like the church is winning. However, no matter how dire things look, no matter what it looks like right now, no matter how victorious the forces of this world, the forces of evil, evil appear to be, we know that the church wins in the end. Now, you and I know that there are times when we're tempted to think, like, we might lose, and the enemy might win. But the hope of the gospel reminds us time and time again that it's not so. Christ our King has already secured the victory. Even so, it can be tough going. Acts chapter 12 shows us this happens. The church struggles to believe that it will win. We see two players in this chapter, in this chapter 12. The, the struggling church and the despotic King Herod. Now, it sets up perfectly as a contest between two forces, the church and Herod, one apparently weak and the other apparently strong and mighty. John Stott, an English Anglican theologian, summarized this chapter nicely. He said, here then were two communities, the world and the church arrayed against one another. On one side was the authority of Herod. The power of the sword and the security of prison was on his side. On the other side, the church. The church had prayer, which is the only power the powerless possess. Now, if you were an objective observer of the world, who do you think would win? The sword or prayer? Well, let's watch and see. I pray that you'll be encouraged by this because everybody likes an unlikely victor. First, a little background. The church thought their leader, Jesus, was dead. Remember that all of his uh, followers kind of left him. They, they left because they were afraid for their own lives. But interesting, the women didn't. The women remained. They all left, but, but God said, not yet. The Father raised Jesus from the dead. The early church had seen some amazing highs and some 
disappointing, heartbreaking lows. And most likely you have too. But this was a very rough time for the church here in, in Acts. I mean, as you've been going through this book of Acts with Chris and then last week with uh, Brother John, you, you saw there were some reasons to cheer and to shout. The, the church grew and, and God did some amazing things. But here in chapter 12, you kind of wonder what's going on. Last week, you saw that King Herod executed James, John's brother with the sword. We know that James was the first apostle to be killed. We, you already heard that Stephen was the first martyr in the church, but, but James, the brother of John, was the first apostle to die because he followed Jesus. Now, Luke writes this almost matter-of-factly. You know, just reporting what happened. That Luke, Luke says that, that Herod beheads his brother, uh, the brother of John, James. And we read that pre uh, Peter was in prison. And so you would kind of expect, okay, so James dies uh, because he's a follower of Jesus and Peter's in prison. Well, looks like uh, Peter's going to be next. The church can perhaps be forgiven for assuming that their beloved Peter was as good as dead. But God says, not yet. Now we do know that Peter one day will be martyred for his faith, but God says, not yet. Now you may be asking yourself, why James and not Peter? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. It wasn't that God loved Peter more than he loved James. We don't know why James is beheaded, but Peter is not. Let's look at verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and the light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. An angel has to wake Peter up in a rather persuasive manner. You know, parents of teenagers know that sometimes you have to do that. You have to be rather forceful working up, waking up your child. So the angel struck Peter on the side and, and led him out of prison. And Luke tells us that Peter assumed that he was just having a vision. But he wasn't. Look at verse 10. When they had passed the first and the, the second guard, they, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went uh, along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod 
and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other, uh, other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And we knocked on the door of the gateway. A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James. And to the brothers. Of course, this James is Jesus' brother who was uh, in charge of the Jerusalem church. Now, when they day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. So Peter goes to a house where he knows that the church is gathered and praying for him. He knows that he's not alone. Their prayer for Peter was likely a prayer mixed with cries for deliverance and, and for protection. After all, James had been beheaded. Would God allow James to be beheaded and then free Peter? Perhaps you can understand their uncertainty in accepting the fact that Peter is actually standing at the gate outside of the house. We can see a bit of humor here. The servant girl, Rhoda, runs to the gate. She is so stunned by the sound of Peter's voice that she runs back into the house rejoicing, but she forgets about Peter. You can imagine Peter's surprise. He would very much like to get in the house, especially since he's just been freed from prison. He's a fugitive. However, the gathered church, praying for Peter's deliverance, refuses to believe that Peter had been delivered. Now, we look at them and we think, what was wrong with them? But have you ever prayed for something and then you were surprised that God answered? It may not have been a, a matter of a lack of faith. It, would, it was just surprised that God would care enough about you to answer a prayer that you had that was so important to you. So they tell poor Rhoda that she must be mistaken or, or it, it's, it's Peter's angel. And they probably meant that it's Peter's guardian angel or, or something like that. Regardless, they can't bring themselves to believe that he is really outside. Sometimes darkness is so dark that we have trouble believing the light can break through. Even as we're calling on God to let the light break through. The gathered church cried out for God to save Peter, but then cannot bring themselves to accept the fact that God had really saved Peter. 
The darkness and evil of the world can be suffocating. It can disorient us. Even those of us who know who wins in the end. Sometimes we still have trouble believing when everything is going against us. The early church had seemingly resigned itself to the inevitability of its leader's demise that, that Peter was going to be killed. But God said, not yet. Now there's a parallel to uh, what happened with Peter to the resurrection of Jesus. And it's not difficult to see. In both cases, the struggling church, well, when Jesus was crucified, it wasn't the church, it was the apostles who should have known better. They should have known that, that Jesus would rise from the dead. Jesus told them they, that he would, but they didn't understand that. They were caught off guard by the resurrection. Remember Thomas, who wasn't with the other apostles when Jesus, after the resurrection, appeared to the other apostles and Thomas wasn't there. Who knows where he was? He had other things to do. And so they tell Thomas, Thomas, we saw the risen Jesus. And so what did Thomas say? Great, I want to see him too. No. In uh, John chapter 20, verse 25, we hear from the faithless Thomas. It says, so the other disciples told him, that is, they, he told Thomas, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see his hands, in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. The unlikely deliverance of Peter from a sentence of death was a reminder to the church then and now that we must not despair or give up hope when we can't see God's deliverance ahead. Most of you are young, but I would dare say that there have been times in your life when you've thought, how can God help me out of this? How can God give me hope when, when I see no hope? But this account in Acts chapter 12 tells us that you can. You can have hope because God doesn't fail. We must believe that God is the God who, who still speaks light into darkness. Here's another more recent example of God's deliverance. The New Testament scholar F.F. F. Bruce, in commenting on the deliverance of Peter from prison in Acts chapter 12, pointed to the, the example of an Indian Christian missionary named Sundar Singh. By order of the chief lama of a Tibetan community, Sundar Singh was thrown into a dry well the cover of which was securely locked. Here he was left to die like many others before him, whose bones and rotting flesh lay at the bottom of the well. On the third night, when he had been calling on God in prayer, 
he heard someone unlocking the cover of the well and removing it. Then a voice spoke, telling him to take hold of the rope that was being lowered. So he did, and, and was glad to find that there was a, a loop in the bottom of the rope in which he could put his foot. And someone began to pull him out. He was happy about that too because before he fell into the well, he had hurt his arm. He was then drawn up. The cover was replaced and locked. And when he looked around for his rescuer, he could find no trace of him. The fresh air revived him and, and his injured arm felt much better. When morning came, he returned to the place where he had been arrested and hid. No. And resumed preaching. He didn't hide. News was brought to the chief lama that the man who had been thrown into the execution well had been liberated and was preaching again. Sundar Singh was brought before him and questioned, and he told the story of his release. Now the lama declared that someone must have got the hold of the key and let him out. Now listen to this. But when the search was made, the key was found attached to the Lama's own belt. Yes, God is a God who speaks light into darkness and still says, not yet, when things look most hopeless. That's just one side. Remember, there, there are two people involved in this. There's the church with the focus on Peter, and then there's someone named King Herod. The world thought their leader was a god, but God said, no. If the church sometimes assumes less of the Lord God than we should, the world conversely assumes more of its leaders than it should. Now the church thought their leader was dead. However, the world proclaims that their leader, Herod, was a god. We see the demise of wicked King Herod here. Listen to verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod, was put, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat from the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a god, and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. What an amazing scene. It's as startling in terror 
as Peter's deliverance was startling in beauty. The people shout and, and proclaim Herod a god. Joseph, the Jewish historian, wrote that Herod looked godlike in, his, in this scene because of the sun reflecting off of his silver armor. God, however, doesn't share his glory with anyone, and, and he strikes Herod down. And he does it in a way that's dramatic as well as unsettling. An angel of the Lord struck him down, and, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last, the Bible says. Why? Because he did not give God the glory. How important is God's glory? It's important enough for Herod to be struck down dead and his body to be eaten by worms. Now Herod made the mistake of believing and embracing his own blasphemous press. Well, Herod isn't alone. Leaders throughout history have done very similar things. They came to believe that they were gods. They may not have heard the crowd say that, but they thought, you know, I don't need God. I've got all of this power at my fingertips. Why, why would I need God? I'm the sovereign here. Now, they may seem at times to be invincible, but remember Jesus' own words to the, in, uh, to the Roman government in John chapter 19, verse 11. Jesus said, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Governments have no power that's not granted them by God, who is sovereign over all the world. The Apostle Paul made this very clear in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. He writes, Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. Brothers and sisters, God is still sovereign in this world, no matter what we see going on. If the church needed to be lifted out of its despondency by an amazing display of God's grace, we know with Peter being miraculously freed from prison, the world needed to be humbled by an unforgettable display of God's wrath against King Herod. While it seems that the trajectory of the world is toward victory of the fallen structures of the world and the continued diminishment of the church, this story reminds us that this is not ultimately so. God wins. Darkness is not destined to have victory. Wicked kings do not get to play God forever. And persecuted believers are not forever destined to die martyrs' deaths. In other words, in the end, the kings of the earth will be brought low and the lowly church of Christ will be exalted. A man named T.R. Glover, who lived from 1869 to 1943, was a Cambridge University professor. He made these comments about Nero having the apostle uh, Paul executed. He said that one day, 
men would call their dogs Nero and their sons Paul. And this is exactly what has happened in our day. Where is Nero? He's been cast into the trash heap of history. And Peter and Paul and the apostles, well, we continue to share the message of Christ that they preached. And that's why we're here to this very day. We stand on a cloud of witnesses who have refused to abandon the light for darkness and who have dared to believe the message that inevitably the victory belongs to Christ and his church. I like how this passage ends. It ends kind of, again, matter-of-factly, beginning with verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned uh, from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So the church goes on. As Jesus promised in Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Brothers and sisters, never forget that. When you look around you and you see what looks like the di diminishment of the church, that, that the world is winning, that that those who follow Jesus are losing. When you imagine that, remember Jesus' words, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, has this not been so for 2,000 years? 2,000 years this has been true. I dare say it won't change because God's word doesn't change. The title for this kind of study, I put as God does what God does. We don't understand what's going on in our world, and just like the other apostles and the, and the young Christians in the young Christian church, they didn't understand why James was beheaded. Why did God spare James but I mean, spare Peter, but he didn't James? Well, we don't know. God does what God does, and we can trust that what God does, He does according to His purpose and His plan in righteousness and truth and love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Acts, and Lord, we thank you for the, the wonderful things that you did, uh, your Holy Spirit working in the lives of these people, just people like us. They weren't stronger, they weren't smarter, they weren't more clever, and, and Lord, they probably weren't even more spiritual or, or even faithful in following you, but you did it because you do what you choose to do. And Father, we thank you for that. 
And Lord, I pray for these dear folks here. They may be going through difficult times. They may be looking at the future with a little bit of concern or maybe a lot of concern because they don't know what's going to happen. But Lord, help them to recognize the fact that you're with them every step of the way, that you'll never abandon them, that your promise is as good today as it was 2,000 years ago. Father, thank you for who you are. And Father, I thank you for who these men and women here tonight are. Watch over them. Use them. Be glorified in their lives. Help them to be blessed as they see you blessing others through them. And we'll give you all the praise and glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.